If you have a Bible, you can open up to Judges chapter 14. All right, you should know right away, if you open up to the book of Judges, it's going to get dicey, because Judges is just the craziest book. All right, uh, I'm glad that we can be here together today. Uh, and so any families in the room, like, you should have at least a, a week of school under your belt. All right, hopefully everyone is adjusting well to that. Uh, the weather is finally starting to feel like fall. Like, I loved this week. I love fall weather. Uh, and I'm just excited about this fall in particular because this fall is going to be a very important time at our church. All right, for the past year or so, our staff feels that God has been speaking some very specific things for where our church is going. All right, and really what that's going to happen specifically in 2022. We are going to spend time in January and February talking about where we feel like our church is going uh, and, and what that means for us. But here's the thing. Many times in my life, when I feel like God has spoken to me and said, this is where you need to go, this is what you need to do, oftentimes it is a very difficult step to take. And it is somewhere outside of my comfort zone. Because if it weren't outside my comfort zone, I probably would have already taken that step. And we start talking about this. And I think what this fall is going to be for our church is this. We believe that God has big things in store, specifically this next year for our church. But we don't know if our church, us, are ready for it right now. As God is going to call us to do new things, to go uh, to places he has not called us before, we don't know if we are ready and prepared for this. So as pastors... Our idea for this fall is this. We want to take this fall and we want to go through some specific things that we think could maybe hinder us from actually being able to go where God is calling us to go. All right, so this fall, we are going to walk through some different things. And what we are going to do is we're going to do a series that is a little bit longer here. And we are starting that this morning. And we are calling it simply Stuck. Stuck, all right? Uh, and, and here's the picture of where we're headed. We should have this kind of behind me here. This idea of a, the poor little turtle that is stuck on his back, all right? Now, I want you to think about this. Like, a turtle that is stuck on its back, in that moment, is the turtle thinking about what is going on that afternoon, or what his next meal is, or a nice, cool swim in the lake? No, the turtle is only thinking about being stuck, and how it needs to get out of that situation or nothing else can happen. Nothing else in the day or what that turtle needs to do can happen until it is unstuck. All right? And, and this, is, this is where we feel like some of us are. Is we are in our life, but we are stuck. There is something in your life, in my life, that is causing us to be stuck. And even though God wants us to be doing something, he wants to be working through us, we can't do it because our mind and our focus is, is completely on whatever this thing is that we are stuck in. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks, next few months, is we're going to take a biblical journey through really some of the most difficult topics in our culture. All right, so I, I hope we are ready for this. We are going to be talking through just anxiety and depression and talking about addiction and talking about bitterness and past hurt and, and this trap that our world has that is hurry and hustle and busyness uh, and, and just all these things that we're going to talk about negativity and how that can just cloud our mind and stop us from going where God needs us to. 
All right, and this morning we're going to start with maybe one of the most difficult topics. We are going to talk about the power of sexual sin in our culture. All right, and how it is absolutely ravaging the church, the family, and our ability to have a healthy relationship with God. And some of you are here for the first time and you're like, what did I get myself into? All right, it's okay. We're just going to lock the doors so you can't leave. And No. All right, so here's the thing. The, the bad news is, is sexual sin is destroying our culture. The good news is the Bible speaks directly to this issue over and over again. All right, in fact, not only does it speak to this issue, but there are multiple, multiple stories that actually show this for us. We just got out of a series talking about King David. His life is an example of what happens when sexual sin destroys things. All right, so this morning... We are going to be looking at that. And with all of this in mind, uh, I want to just do this. If you are willing and able, can we stand across this place? I want to open in prayer as we get ready to kind of dive in today. God, we pray right now, Lord, that anything that's inside of us that would push back against what you want to do in our life, God, any, anything that would cause us to get defensive and kind of just close up right now, God, we come against that. We just pray, Lord, that we would be open and ready to hear from you. God, that you would speak to us in a new and fresh way this morning that would challenge us uh, in, in ways that we maybe just aren't even ready for, but are so important and pivotal for our life. God, we ask that you would do that. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. All right, so I, I want to open with an idea that is super important for us for this conversation today. If you are taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. The idea is this. Change always involves a crisis and a process. All right, change involves a crisis and a process. We are talking about change, and for many people, change is difficult, but, and yet change happens all the time in our lives. So what causes us to change? Well, often it starts in a moment, in a realization, in a crisis, if you will. Uh, maybe you go to the doctor and you get some news, you get a diagnosis, and the doctor says, this is where your health is at. And if you keep living this way, you are going to die, or this is going to happen. And you have this crisis moment, and you think, wow, I need to change. All right, or, or maybe in your family or in your marriage, things are falling apart, and you hit this realization where all of a sudden you're like, things need to change. If they don't change, this is going to end. And that is that crisis moment, all right? And crisis can happen as well just kind of internally. Those are external things that are coming and impacting you. Internally, you might hit a spot where you just say, wow, I, I need to change. I can't keep living this way, all right? And internally, you're like, it's time. It's time. All right, now that is when a crisis happens, but change has not happened yet. Just because you make the decision in your head, I need to change, does not mean that change happened. All right? What happens then is a process. You actually begin to put a plan together of how am I going to change? All right? So if, if this is a health-related thing, you go to the doctor, the doctor says, you need to change the way you live. You're like, wow, I do. That's a crisis. The process is saying, I now am going to change the way that I eat. I am going to look into this. I am going to hire a personal trainer. I am going to get a membership at this place. That is the process. Are we kind of following what this is here? 
All right? Uh, if you are an alcoholic, you may hit a crisis moment where you realize you need to change. But if there is no process, if that is where you stop, you just say, wow, this is bad. No change is going to happen. Uh, you need to begin this process, and it takes work. It is hard. It is difficult. You need the right people around you. You need the right things in place. And, and here is what is happening. This is the tipping point for people, okay? Change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. All right? It, it is painful to change, which is why most people don't change. Because they're like, I don't want to go through all of this work. I don't want to go through all of the, what this is going to make in my life. And that stops them from changing. But eventually, if you stay where you are, there might be pain because of your current way of living. Where eventually that pain gets so great, and the doctor says, if you don't change, this is where your life is going. That pain is greater now than the pain that it's going to take to change. And that's when someone finally says, okay, I'm ready, I want to change. Alright, so this morning, my goal is to basically create a crisis point for us when it comes to sexual sin and desire in our life. Alright, that would then kind of cause us to say, wow, something in my life needs to change. Next week, then, we are going to talk through what does that process look like. And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you about something completely different, and that would be amazing. All right, but th this, this, this morning could be very difficult for some of us because maybe you've been stuck in sexual sin for a long time. And maybe nobody knows your secret, and it's terrifying thinking that somebody might find this out. All right, and the next two weeks might be some of the most difficult weeks that you've sat in a church but I believe that a decade from now, you would look back and say, I am so glad for that moment where change happened and I am now free because of that. All right. So we're going to be reading from the book of Judges today. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the story of a judge named Samson. All right. So the book of Judges is about Israel. Israel kept doing this thing where they were walking away from God. Someone would take over them. They would cry out to God, God, rescue us. God would raise up a judge or almost like a, a hero that would then lead them out of this oppression. Things were great, and then they'd go back into falling into what the culture was doing around them. They would cry out, God, we need you. God would raise someone up. This happens over and over and over. Judges is a depressing book. Okay, it just keeps happening. One of those judges was named Samson. If you grew up in Sunday school, you maybe know him. He's got long hair and he's really buff. All right, like that's kind of what we understand about him. Well, why are we looking at his story? Because Samson, unfortunately, gives us an example of what it, what it looks like to live a life that is stuck. All right? Samson was controlled by his internal desires in life. And really by one particular desire. Uh, and that was his desire for women. And this desire and the pursuit of it really is what messes up everything in his life. And Samson never becomes who God wanted him to be because he was controlled by his pursuit of sexual pleasure. This is what happens in Samson's life. He never becomes what God wants him to because of this. He is stuck. So physically, Samson was a, a Hercules. All right, spiritually, he could have been a giant, but instead of the lack of, because he had a lack of self-control in this one area, 
His life ends in shame and ruin. And here's how we're going to do this today. I'm going to tell the story of Samson, but I'm going to do it inside of four specific points for us. All right? And these points are all under this idea. What is lost in sexual sin? When you are living in sexual sin, what is lost? So the first one is this. You lose your mission. You lose your mission. Judges chapter 13 tells the beginning of Samson's story. An angel comes to visit his mom. Samson's mom is barren. She's unable to have children. And this angel says that uh, she's going to have a child. That child is going to deliver the Israelites out of the Philistines' control. He's going to be this judge. He's going to be this hero. And this idea of a mom not being able to have children and then being visited by an angel or praying, this is not new in Scripture. This has happened before. Sarah, Abraham's wife, gave birth to Isaac as a result of this. All right, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, gives birth as a result of this same thing. Jacob's wife, Rachel, same thing. She can't have kids. She prays. She has kids. Each one of these children that are a result of that go on to do amazing things for God. They are like pillars for the Israelites. So when we read this, we should have this expectation like, wow, this kid is going to do something amazing. This kid has incredible potential because of how this story starts. Well, the woman has a baby. They name him Samson. He is a part of what is called a Nazarite. He takes this vow. It is someone who is set apart for God, someone who is spiritually chosen and special. All right, that's who Samson is supposed to be. That's his God-given purpose and mission in life, to be set apart, to be special, to bring freedom to Israel. But the very first thing we read about in Samson's life is not his love for God. It's not his desire to follow and serve God. The first thing we read about with Samson's life is about a girl. All right, so let's check this out. Chapter 14, the beginning of it. The first thing we have after Samson's birth announcement It says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. I would expect to read about how this young Samson is is learning from other great leaders, how he is strategizing to defeat the Philistines, um, how he is training to lead troops and have this coup over the Philistines. Instead, we read about how he is hanging out in an enemy town, and he sees a Philistine girl, he thinks she's really hot, and he wants to have her. That's, that's this story. That's how it starts. Now, it does say that God in some way is involved in this process and kind of is behind the scenes in this. Uh, there's some debate on what that means, but really, most likely, it means that God is allowing Samson to give in to his desires here, and God is saying, okay, I'll use these desires. And so Samson, it's obvious that his thoughts, his life are not focused on what is my mission, how can God use me, how can I accomplish his will, how can I deliver my people from this enemy. He has lost his mission. The second thing we lose because of sexual sin is this, loss of integrity. Samson was a Nazarite. He had taken this powerful, very specific vow that was part of his calling. All right, and this vow came with three specific things. Samson was not to drink wine, alcohol, or grape juice of any kind. And in fact, he can't eat grapes or raisins even. All right, like he, he cannot be, he cannot have these things. Second one is Samson was not to cut his hair ever. 
All right, and we'll see that come up later. The third thing, Samson was not to touch any kind of dead carcass or gravesite or anything like that, even if it was his own family. If his mother died, he needs to, like, he can't be around that. Now, having integrity would mean that you are doing everything you can to uphold this vow that you have taken, but that's not the picture we see. Judges 14, verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, this is going to get that, that girl that he had just seen, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. All right, stupid question. Think about this. What is a vineyard? What grows in a vineyard? What do you make with what grows in a vineyard? All of these are things that Samson is supposed to be staying away from. All right, one of my kids has a peanut allergy. We do not have peanuts in the house at all. Because we're just like, we need to stay away from that. It needs to be just not part of his life. That is the type of attitude that Samson needed to have in this situation. And yet, he is strolling through a vineyard. All right, verse 6. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. This lion that's attacking them. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or mother about it. He isn't supposed to be around dead bodies. He knows this. He's choosing not to tell his parents. He's covering things up. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Verse 8. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. It wasn't bad enough that the first time he did this and walked by the vineyard and and had this encounter with a lion, you could almost kind of excuse it away. Like, what is he supposed to do? Let himself die? Like, he needs to attack the lion. But he goes back to this a second time. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it. But he didn't tell them he had taken it, the honey, from the carcass of the lion. We have a picture here of someone who apparently does not care about the vow that he made. He has no problem flirting with that line of compromise. And he is actively choosing to then lie about it and cover it up. All right, the rest of the story with this girl and Samson marrying her is a mess. She ends up trying to get him to tell her something that he doesn't want to tell her. And she kind of seduces him and gets him to do it. He tells her. She betrays him with that information. It's just this whole mess. All right? And and this story ends. And you're like, okay, well, maybe that was just a rough patch for Samson. Let's move on in his life. The very next story, Judges 16.1, says this. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. What? You're like, come on. Like, what is wrong with this guy? God-given mission completely out the window at this point. Integrity? No. Let's go to a Philistine country and spend the night with a prostitute. Like, this man is controlled by his sexual appetite. And this leads us into the third thing that we lose. And that's this, the loss of common sense. Judges 16.4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. This phrase, translated as entice Samson, is defined this way. Deceive or seduce. All right, so they're saying, Delilah, we will pay you to seduce him and find out the source of his great strength so that we can defeat him. 
Delilah then begins to work. She begins to attempt to get Samson to tell her the secret of his strength. Uh, and if you don't know the story, Samson has this supernatural strength that God has given him. It's tied to his purpose in the Nazarite vow. All right, and all the secret is his hair in this. His immense physical strength uh, has to do with this hair not being cut. All right, well, Samson and Delilah are alone. He's in the mood, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. All right, so translation here. Delilah is not going to give Samson what he wants until he gives her what she wants. All right? So he lies. A few minutes later, Samson is asleep. She ties him up with the seven bowstrings, just like Samson had said. Verse 9. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. All right, and this is crazy how every little bit of common sense goes out the window here for Samson. This same thing, you would think that would be enough to be like, this woman is trouble. I just told her basically how to defeat me and deliver me to my enemies, and she turned around and did exactly that. And yet he goes on, and this happens two more times in the exact same way. Delilah begs him to tell her the secret. Samson lies and gives her some goofy thing of how he'll lose his strength if she does this. She does that. He gets up. It's, it's a lie, so he breaks the string, and his strength is still there. How do you not see, like, what is happening here when you're looking at Samson's story? Samson is so dumb. Like, what is wrong with you? Well, the truth is he, he has chosen to be ignorant and blind. Because what he truly cares about is being met. So who cares if you're fulfilling your calling that God has on your life when what you want and what you care about is happening? That, that's this story. Verse 15, Then Delilah pouted, How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. All common sense is gone. Samson is so blinded by his sexual desires and satisfying those desires that he makes absolutely stupid decisions. He finally tells her the truth. Samson falls asleep. She shaves his head, which leads us to the final thing that you lose, the loss of the favor of God. All right, this is one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. Delilah cuts his hair. The Philistines are waiting just like the previous three times. Verse 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. The result of his sexual sin, he lost everything, including the favor of God on his life. Samson is captured. They gouge out his eyes and they put him on display in the great Philistine temple to present to all that they had defeated their great enemy. 
All right, he's tied up to these massive beams in the temple. His strength ends up coming back because he prays really actually a very selfish prayer. Read it sometime. It's all about God, let me do this. Give me my strength so that I can be vindicated and I can defeat these Philistines. It has nothing to do with him saying, God, I, I'm so sorry. In this one last moment in my life, I want to accomplish your will. It's, it's all just selfish for him. And he pulls these beams down and kills thousands of Philistines. A man set apart by God from birth to bring freedom to his people turns out to be a man led by his sexual desire who lost everything and in the end loses his life. Right, the story of Samson is a tragic story of squandered potential and purpose. It's a story of feeding sexual appetite instead of commitment to God. Carrie, you can come as we just get ready to kind of wrap this up. We are meant to see someone who is called by God in this story, has a purpose and a mission in life, but is constantly stuck. He is surrounded by opportunities that would cause him to walk away from his mission. All right, like in this story, you have these vineyards and you have him going to weddings for seven days. Like, and at weddings, alcohol would abound and he can't have any of this. And there's dead bodies in it and beautiful women constantly crossing his path in this story. Like this is a story of a man who is supposed to be set apart, not partake in certain things, and yet his world is filled with it. And he can't really necessarily, necessarily get away from that. The environment that Samson lives in is a constant threat to his ability to follow God. And understand that is not any different from us. The environment that you live in and I live in has constant threats to pull you away from what God wants you to be doing. It's nonstop in your life. But this isn't about us like looking at the world around us as an enemy. And we have to build this like little bubble or commune and say, oh, well, let's all live together. Like, no, that's a terrible idea. Like, this is the world we live in. What this is about is, is us learning to be able to control ourselves, to live in that environment and not be enticed and pulled away by these things. Us not following our eyes like Samson did. Everywhere he looked, he was seeing some woman that he wanted. Well, duh. Like us. When that's what your life is based on, that's, that's what you're going to see. Isn't it funny that he doesn't really accomplish a whole lot of his mission until the Philistines actually gouge his eyes out? The thing that was kind of his biggest weakness ends up being removed. Just like us, he had constant access to whatever he wanted. Right, but it, it's even easier for us. When it comes to this idea of sexual sin in our lives, right, this could mean a lot of things. This could mean pornography. This could mean infidelity in a marriage, physically or emotionally. Physically, if, I was looking at stats. It's something like, 20% of marriages end up in this. 
If you add in the emotional infidelity piece, it's a third of marriages. It's crazy. It could be sleeping with people that you're not in a committed marriage with. Stats would say that somewhere over 95% of us in the room have seen pornography at some point in our life. All right, and that over half of the room, this room, is engaged in pornography or sexual content of some type on a regular basis. And what we, what we need to know is this. This is a major problem in our world. And the church is not exempt. Unfortunately, the stats surrounding the church versus the world, it's not any better. Like there's not this group of stats that says, here's what's going on. Oh, but then when you go to Christians, they're doing great with this. No, it's, it's the same stats. It really is. Sexual sin is destroying lives. It is destroying marriages. And it's this secret that people try and cover up and lie about. All right, and it's present in adults' lives. It's present in kids' lives. 90% of 12 to 18-year-olds, 90% of 12 to 18-year-olds have viewed hardcore pornography. The average age that someone first sees this is nine years old. All right, like I, I could keep listing off stats over and over and over. It's incredibly depressing. And I'm not going to spend the rest of our time doing that. All right? What we need is this. We need to have a crisis moment this morning. Now, as some people are, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I, I don't know where this is going. And you are feeling just kind of, oh, maybe this is something you deal with. I'll just tell you right now, we're not going to end this. No one is, is having to come forward this morning. No one is having to raise a hand, anything like that. All right, what we are doing right now is we are creating a moment for you to say, this has to change. I can't continue this way. Maybe this has been part of your life for a long time, but you're going to say, this morning is that crisis moment and this needs to change. I don't want this to be part of my life. I'm sick of this. It's ruining my life and it needs to change. Next week, we're going to talk about that process. What does that look like? Before you can ever get to a process, you first have to say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to actually be done. I think the thought of, of moving beyond this is scary for people. We talked earlier about the, the idea, there's pain in changing. You might be sitting here thinking, wow, if I'm actually done with this, I might have to tell somebody. I might have to tell my spouse. I might have to tell a friend. I might have to tell a leader in some way. And that sounds incredibly painful. Yeah, there's going to be some pain involved in this. But the reality is the pain of changing and getting out of this is less than the pain of you staying in this life because it will destroy you. We need to be willing to say, I, I, I will choose that pain and I will walk away from this. All right? Because if you stay where you are, it is going to destroy. It will destroy the mission that God has for your life. Everything he wants you to do, 
everything he wants to do through you, your direction, all of it, it's going to destroy it. It will destroy your integrity as you lie about this and cover it up. It will destroy your common sense when everything says, walk away in this moment, don't do this, don't make this decision, all common sense will be out the window as you continue to walk back into this life. And it will result in losing the favor of God. Pretty soon, you won't even realize that you have been absent from God. You think you're still kind of going through the motions and everything's happening the way it should, but pretty soon, all of a sudden, you just feel empty and things don't feel the same. And you don't even know how to explain it or why it is. It will result in the loss of the favor of God in your life. It's not favor like blessing and this. It's just... You're, you're not going to be close with God. Today needs to be a crisis. Some of us need to come to our senses and say enough is enough. I can't keep living this way. And it's easy to sit here and say, well, you know what? I think you're talking about other people in the room. Maybe this happens a few times for me, but you're not talking about me. This isn't a problem for me. Yeah, maybe I kind of flirt with that coworker a little bit, but that's, that's, everybody does that. That coworker's just kind of flirty. It's not a big deal. Yeah, maybe every once in a while I click on this and see this, but it's not a big deal. Here's the thing. We always put wherever that line is of sexual sin, of, of, of saying it's a problem, we put it right in front of where we are. I haven't crossed that line yet. That line is still out in front of me. Where I am is good. This is why, like, when you ever talk about dating with high schoolers, what is the most common answer as you try and talk about some of these things with them? Well, I mean, so how, how, how far can you go before it's bad? Why, why are they asking that? So they can know, okay, that's, I can't do that. I better stay way over here. No, they're asking because there's the line. Well, I want to walk all the way up to right here, and I'm going to walk all the way next to this line here. And I'm going to try not to, oh, I didn't really step on that side. My foot's just kind of hanging over. Does that count? Like that, that's why we want to know where is the line, and we always put the line out in front of where we are. Let me tell you this. Scripture is very, very clear on sexual sin. This destroys you from the inside out. Have nothing to do with it. And that's hard in the world that we live in. But that's what we are called to do. So I want to just, uh, I'm not going to end it like we normally do. We're not going to have this like reflection time because I can just tell you this. If you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I need to ask God if he wants this to be done in my life. No, you don't. The answer is yes, be done. All right, like there's not really something to reflect on this morning. There isn't big steps to take right now because what this morning is, is a crisis. It is creating that moment of saying, all right, I've waited long enough. I've excused this in my life long enough. And I need to be done. I need to be done. That's what this morning is. So I want us to do this. Can we stand across this place if you're willing, if you're able? And I want to pray just over us this morning. And I want you to spend some time in this moment right now. Evaluate what, what is it that you're feeling. Are you being defensive right now? Are you making excuses for things that are in your life? 
saying, ah, it's okay. It's not really a problem. I could stop if I wanted to. Be honest with where you are. God, I pray right now for every single one of us in this room, God, that, that this idea that sexual sin would not be something that is controlling our lives. God, that it would not be something that, that we are constantly falling to. God, I pray right now that you give courage, strength, resolve, so that people can say, I'm done, enough is enough. Now is the time to walk away. And God, I pray for those in the room that have been hurt by sexual sin. Lord, maybe someone close in their family, someone they love in some way, God, that they, they've been hurt by this, by someone else's sexual sin. God, I pray healing right now over them. God, over their mind, over the things that have happened to them, the things that other people have chosen to do. God, I pray that you would just heal them right now. Jesus, that this would be a process that they could walk out as well. God, that they would still know that they have a mission, that they have a purpose in their life. God, that you would speak to that right now. And God, I pray that this week would be the start of something new for people. God, that right now that we would begin to just say, enough is enough. I am done with this. I am moving forward. God, that people would walk away from affairs, that people would walk away from pornography, people would walk away from relationships that are not honoring you. And that Jesus, next week, that we would just be in this place where we have so much resolve just to say, let's do this. Let's start this new path. Let's get rid of this. Let's begin this process. I know it's painful, but I am willing to go through that pain for the sake of my mission, the sake of my future, the sake of the people around me, the people that I love. I am willing to do this. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Last thing I want to do before we go today is this. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not ever made a decision to say, God, I, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be everything. I want to follow you. I want to stop living my own way and I want to follow you. And this morning you would say, I want to make that decision. That I want to follow after God. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity just to slip a hand up and make this decision that we can pray with you. So if you've been feeling that as, as I've been talking this morning during the service, God's just prompting you in some way. If that's you, would you just slip a hand up this morning? Nobody looking around, eyes closed. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I want to I do this. There's nothing magical or special about this, but in this moment, you're making a decision. You're, you're slipping a hand up. You're saying, God, I want you. I want to just take us one more baby step just to say this out loud together, everybody in the room. 
and realize this is not a, I've checked that box, I'm good now for life. This is a process. This is something that we're starting today. We are walking this out daily. But can we do this together? Can we all just make this declaration this morning? Can Can you repeat after me as I say this? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking away all of my mistakes. I want to surrender my life to you. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that? This fall, this fall is going to be difficult. We are going to dive through things that we think are are stopping us, are hindering us from what God wants to do in our life. All right, and maybe today didn't register with you, but something will this fall, I guarantee, as we walk through these things. And I want to challenge us. Let's be open. Let's be ready and just say, God, have at me. Whatever it is you need to change so that I'm following you, do that now. All right, let's, let's come expecting every single week this fall as we get ready for what God wants to do. All right, thanks for being here today, guys. You're dismissed. Missions meeting will be in the conference room.